This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. Hey, San Diego. Nick Shenton with the Dine Local San Diego podcast here. Reminding you that San Diego Restaurant Week starts January 20th. Eight days, 180 restaurants offering lunch and dinner specials. Visit sandiegorestaurantweek.com to make your reservation. On the Front Burner puts two no-nonsense culinary professionals on air discussing tough industry topics, interviewing fascinating food personalities, and providing penetrating looks at the industry that we love. We don't always agree and often provide compelling personal insights from a unique combination of life experiences. You know, it's a lively give and take. It's by no means conventional. Elaine owns Sweet Cheeks Baking Company and is a winner of the Food Network's Cupcake Wars and Fabulous Cakes. A seasoned industry professional, she is a cake designer and a certified sommelier. Don is a chef, an award-winning journalist, and a culinary educator. Together we take a not-always-pretty, sometimes funny, and always-entertaining look at the world of food and beverage. Well, hello. My name is Elaine Artizzoni. I am the owner of Sweet Cheeks Baking Company. Welcome to On the Front Burner, and I am here with my co-host, Don Williamson. And hello, I'm Don Williamson. I'm president of the Chef de Cuisine Education Foundation and a culinary educator. Last time, we talked about some of the difficulties and some of the problems that restaurants face in surviving in this economy and surviving in general. Uh, We talked in generalities about what that meant and what the effects were. Today, we've brought in a chef that uh, has a tremendous amount of experience with all the things that we talked about. David Chanel started as a dishwasher in 1975. He became an apprentice at 22 and graduated three years later in 1985. In 1986, he became lead line cook at Rancho Bernardo Inn. He's worked in hotels and restaurants for 20 years. He went entrepreneurial as an independent contractor, doing catering and selling events and managing events and food and beverage service at area yacht clubs for 14 years. He's opened 12 restaurants, five at hotels, and five hotel food facilities. David, we're really pleased to have you here with us today. Well, thank you, Don. Thank you Good for afternoon. coming. It's so cool that you're here. I haven't seen you in a while. I'm I haven't seen you in a while either. Yeah, I'm so glad that your bakery is doing so well. Thank you. Really nice, great people doing great things thank and becoming you. successful at that. That is very kind of you. Yeah. And and actually, don't forget, this isn't just about restaurants because Lord knows anybody in this food industry food goes average, through these yeah. crazy, crazy challenges too. They, cer- they certainly do. Yeah, I think that's important that we realize we mention restaurants because they get all the hype and all the ink. But we're talking about bars, restaurants, breweries, bakeries, even food specialty stores. Well, hotels. Caters. Hotels, hotels mm-hmm. alone will have three or four restaurants in them. You know? Yeah. And when they, when they close up, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why this happens. Well, yeah. David, you've mm-hmm. been at a lot of restaurants freestanding, hotel, chain. If you had to look at maybe the top three or five reasons why they go out of business or have problems, what would they be? 
lack of SOPs, standards of procedures, of uh, ownership. I think ownership uh, sometimes many places that are freestanding you have ownership that has a dream about opening a restaurant. That's great. We all have dreams. However, they've never worked a day in their life in this business. Mm. And they come in with these preconceived notions that do not exactly translate uh, into practice. Theoretically, it sounds great, but it does not exactly translate into practice. Have you found they're typically people who aren't working on the property at all, even once they own, once they buy? Uh, some have. Mm-hmm. I've known some owners that gave it all. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I respect them. I've known other owners that... Uh, that would uh, hire qualified people, but you'd yeah, never see them there. And yeah. then they'd be the first ones coming in wondering why labor is so high. Well, you're not putting your, you're not putting your, 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 uh, yourself into your own business. Well, when you say they give it all, you know, I, I think that maybe some of our listeners need to know that when we talk about the restaurant business, we say that our names are nights, weekends, and holidays. Correct. Because that's when we have to work. And you're, when you say owners give it all, you mean owners that are there all of that there time. All the time. There are some very successful uh, restaurants in San Diego here where you've had an owner who had no idea about this business. But when they decided to uh, own a restaurant, they learned to become a busboy. They learned to become a waiter. They learned how to work with a knife. They got in they, the trenches. They got in the trenches. They yeah. gave it all. Yeah. You have other owners that cannot sully their fingers for the life of them. You know, and I see a lot of those places going down. I think the staff also needs to see that happen. They need to see they you get down and dirty. Yeah, I think. But you know what? If you think about it, you could have just like having a good soccer coach. I mean, your coach may not know how to play soccer, but they can still be a good coach. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that you necessarily have to be. I, I used to own restaurants, and Lord knows I have terrible organizational skills. If if someone had me uh, serving tables, I would have been a complete spaz. But <laughs> I was really good with people, so I still could have made great tips. I bartended mm-hmm. a lot. But um, I decided there were certain jobs that I was never going to be good at, and I was definitely going to hire people to do those jobs a whole lot better than I am. And that right. is that is currently the case even at the bakery. There's certain things that I'm just not going to be good at. Well, you always augment your yeah. weaknesses with people who are strong in that. Yeah. You know, uh, I've always been very organized. I've always been very much a, a lead. I even have my own spreadsheets, which tells me my daily food cost, my daily labor cost, whereas most chefs have to wait till the uh, end of the month to do inventory. Two weeks later, the bookkeeper gets back to them and, oh, your food cost was off. Mm-hmm. Well, I hate being in this position like that because there's nothing I can do about it. Right. If I knew what it was every day, what was going on, and it's simply by, by managing your invoices and matching them against your sales, mm-hmm. you also the same thing with, with the labor. That yeah. does take some serious organization, David. It does. I, I'm very impressed. And, and <laughs> you just get yourself in a habit, habit of doing that, and you know where you're, you're uh, landing at. If your food cost starts to go up, you start questioning your, your, uh, your purveyors, your vendors. You know, start looking at where your food is actually going up. Is meats going up higher? Is produce going up higher? Is dairy going up higher? Was there a drought? Was there a drought? Was, was there, there a flood? flood? Was, was there a hail? Was it, exactly. Uh-huh. And that all affects it. I mean, sometimes you'll find iceberg lettuce being the most expensive lettuce on the market. Isn't because, that so weird? Because there was a flood in Arizona. Yeah. And suddenly you're paying 60, 70 bucks a case for 24 heads of iceberg. And people, but what do you do about that? Okay, yeah. so prices so, right. are going up. What do you do you, in... in, in Whose fault is that? It's no, nobody's fault. It's a, it's a uh, it's, it's an act of God. <laughs> and so, but, what happens then is you've either got to raise your prices or change your menu, change, change your, menu. your menu, right? Or change you, you, your purveyors, right. where you're buying from, correct? Which may change the quality of your food, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. This is why I always have a plan B uh, purveyor. You have your prime purveyor. You always have the second one. 
And uh, if you've been in the business for any length of time, you know who the watch vendors produce a, uh, an excellent product. And, and uh, those that say if they're getting too high, you, you go to your, your uh, number two vendor and there's nothing skipping a beat. Okay, you talked about standard operating procedures and you talked about owners. Mm-hmm. What are other issues that we need to think about in terms of I want to open a restaurant and what do I need to know? Or I opened a restaurant and I'm in trouble. What do I do? Uh, you have to identify what the problem is. Uh, this one restaurant I opened up, uh, the owner had no idea that you needed a storage room. He built an office, which when I came in said, okay, there's no giving no office here. You need a storeroom to p- store all of your products, you know, your, your, your dry goods, your flour, your salt, all your staples need to have a storeroom. Where else are you going to store them? The place was small. The kitchen was a room, room closet and a half. That's, that's how big it was. So there was no, no storage of, of huge items. So you couldn't put the 50-pound bag, uh, bags of, of flour anywhere. So he had to realize that he, – and he, he spent his own money making this restaurant. And he had not worked a day in his life in the restaurant. It should have mm. behooved him to uh, get a good consultant to come in yeah. to make the proper decisions so the restaurant wouldn't be suffering at, at the, the first day it opened. It's such a shame when you start, especially when someone is starting from scratch and they've got all the potential in front of them. And with the right help, they could have all the tools in front of them. Correct. Um, you know, so often most of us are, are stepping into someone's dilapidation and uh, trying to, you know, just noodle in and, and try to make it great with whatever they started. But when you're starting from scratch and you've got every possibility, um, you may not have the you know the deepest pockets to get the most expensive equipment, but you at least can choose what equipment's going to work and what's going to make sense and where it's going to go and and if that space isn't going to work at all for you. Right, and these equipment uh, vendors, I mean, you got to make sure they're honest ones because they yeah. will sell you something that you do not need. I came into one place and uh, uh, it was a pub, and they were uh, selling them this uh, special uh, fryer which had a basket. I mean, you could probably put two two hard, baseball hardballs in it, but that's the extent of it. Tiny little thing. Tiny little thing for a restaurant. And I'm like, what's this for? This is for someone that lives in La Jolla who wants to fry their own right. fish and chips. This right. is, does not belong in a restaurant. They were one of the charge them $5,000. Oh, what? And it's like, you know, a 50-pound uh, fryer costs you, what, 1200 1500 bucks. What? So I had them take that out and uh, replace it with two 50-pounders. Yeah. This greatly benefited the restaurant because now we can do a huge amount of, of uh, fried items. Right. Fish and chips, right. French fries, whatever it is. Then I started going down the list. Fortunately, we did not open yet. I went down the list of, and then I had a, a meeting with the uh, equipment vendor and asked him, what are you trying to do here? And I had to straighten them out. We had to take a lot of the stuff off the, uh, the list. I saved $12,000 in that one meeting. Wow. Yeah. yeah one, it, was, it was just stuff that did not belong in that restaurant. So you have to really watch out for your for your, your vendors. You're making sure you're getting the proper uh, proper uh, tool for the uh, the job you're going to be doing. Speaking about proper tool, you talked about the small kitchen you were in. I know that very often when an owner comes in or a new restaurant opens, they want to have an encyclopedia for a menu. You also have to know what can you cook in the size kitchen you have Correct. to be able to meet the needs of your of your, of your customers. You've, you've nailed something that's very important. You have these uh, uh, 12-page-long menus and, a, like I said, a, a kitchen that's the size of a broom closet and a half. Uh, you've overextended, overexceeded the limitations of your own kitchen. Right. So you've already, you're already failing before you even open the door. Your, your, simp, your, your ship has already sunk. Yeah. Because of uh, 
there is a lot of things that go into the making of a menu, the proper storage of products. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that when you bring in a, a raw ingredient, it has to be prepped, seared, whatever it is, and that has to be stored as well. So food has takes on several several uh, uh, identities. Once it comes in, in the case, you know, bulk from the vendor, then it is then prepped. It has to be refrigerated as well. And then after afterwards, uh, where are you going to put the leftovers? There's three three fasts to uh, to the life of of a uh, of just a chicken breast or anything right. anything in the in the uh, restaurant. You have to have a walk in that's going to be big enough to be able to to uh, to handle all of that. Right or the drawers or the dra- you know, exactly some whatever it is. Drawers. You know, if you go to these breweries and Regions. you know we've got forty taps on the on where do you, you know, keep 40, the 40, kegs 40, cold? Yeah, where do you keep the kegs cold? <laughs> oh, in the walk-in. Really? Do you have any food uh, storage to place food in there? Perhaps <laughs> you can't store food on top of a keg. It's illegal. You we see these challenges all the time. Oh, yeah. We do a lot of wholesale to big properties, and it's funny when you know I go in there and rolling in a cart full of desserts. I'm like, where exactly you want me to put this? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you want to teeter it on top of that little crate? Okay. <laughs> and you have to think too, even about breweries, because of instances like that. In the past three years. 30 breweries in San Diego have gone out of business. That's true. So it's hitting breweries, it's hitting mm-hmm. everyone, this lack of knowledge or lack of realizing that this is a business. Correct. And I think that's the most important key that we need to think about when we talk about this. It's a business, and and it's fun to cook, and it's great to feed people, but it's about dollars and cents and profit and loss. That's what it is, Period. End of story. And it's being able to manage a good team of people right? and keeping them happy and keeping them passionate about the uh, the job they're doing. I think keeping them happy is such an important part of the deal. I, you know, I, I'm very blessed with the people I work with. My team is exceptional. They're extremely talented and they're very happy around each other for the most part. I mean, every, you know, of course, we have quibbles and there are issues. It's, That's it's, life. You know, yeah, right, right. Exactly. It's, it's not it's not perfection. But um, we do definitely consider it a family, and I think that that is typically the thing in most restaurants where you have a happy family team, mm-hmm. you have a happy restaurant, and it becomes a much more successful place. So that it, when it the really clients does. walk in the door, anyone who's working is going to be nice to them because they're proud of being there. Correct. Yeah, that's a huge difference. So what do you do to make them happy or keep them happy, David? Well, uh, pretty much they've got to address our needs as a business. End of story. You cannot – I mean, there are some nice people out there, but they do not belong in a kitchen, and nor do they belong on a floor. They belong in some other industry. Uh, pretty much what I, what I do is I'm, I'm, I'm very much of a coaching, mentoring-style uh, management and supportive. Do you take and, people in who don't have experience? Absolutely. I also mm-hmm. take people in who need a second chance. Yeah. You know, uh, I've blown it many times in my life, and people have given me second chances. Yeah, it's important. And I think you have to pay it forward yeah. and, and – uh, Give someone a, a second chance, yeah. especially if they are they are going through a program or they're trying to improve themselves. I I definitely support that. Yeah, all the way. Of that's great. That the the main thing is you have to have a crew that gets along with each other. That you is, you can't have for one sure. person that's a that's a, a, a what we call a cancer that's going to bring the rest yeah. of the body down. You, you've you've got to really watch out. And sometimes you may like the guy, but he's not working with half your crew, and he's bringing the morale of the whole crew down. So you've got to make a decision, you know, and this, this becomes once again to the management of the business. Um, I've, I've, uh, had many great crews, people that are very close to me. And whenever I open up a, a kitchen, 
I'll have a lot of the elements of the same crew come join me and uh, open up the kitchen. Oh, we see that all over San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. It's called poaching. I know it. You're not supposed to. Well, you know, it may be poaching. It may just be that, you know, some of the team from a previous property sees, for instance, the executive chef or or even a bartender. They see them go Mm -hmm. to a new property and they just keep in touch. I don't know that necessarily you have to feel bad stealing somebody. I don't know. Of course, we don't feel it's appropriate to go out and, and hunt them down and try to coax Correct. them. But yeah. sometimes they want to work with you again. Right. They right. follow you just like the you know the clientele will follow you. Right. I've had a couple of crews that have been following me for, yeah. for years now. Yeah. I um, look at the Intercontinental right now that opened downtown and uh, Chef Amy DiBiase, who's amazing and – Wonderful woman. Oh, I love wonderful. her. And, yes. you know, so many of the, um, the crew that used to work with her down at um, – her previous property followed her there. And I think that's really cool. I mean, I, I don't think it's affecting them too much because you know, they they'll replace those people, but it's people from catering. It's not just even people mm-hmm. from the kitchen. It's a and, good sign. And what's really interesting is these days now, because of the cook shortage that has happened across the nation. Someone was just talking about the cook shortage. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's really affected the business. Uh, yeah. What's happened uh, in the past uh, few years is the, uh, some of these schools were sued. To the point where they you mean culinary close. schools, culinary schools, yes. And uh, for what reason? Well, they were promising that you'd be a chef after you oh. take our year and a half course. Uh. <laughs> yeah, uh, and you get this, this uh, lovely that. piece of paper that cost you eighty grand. It may say you're a chef. Yeah, doesn't mean you're doesn't mean you're a chef. Yeah, no. yeah. And I think even beyond that, I know when I was a catering chef for a uh, local catering company here, I used to have students who would come in. And work the weekends for us, and I would just hear them talking about the fact that they had these thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollar loans, and I'm paying them ten dollars an hour, and I and I just know that they can't survive that way, and I think that's something that had to be addressed and is being addressed it, now. It has been addressed pretty much. I mean, uh, you've got these schools that have made these promises closed down. Well, that affected the whole industry across the nation. Right. You also have Tijuana, Ensenada, all these border towns becoming uh, uh, restaurant boom towns in, mm-hmm. in Mexico. Mm-hmm. So this talent that used to come over the border and supply us with a good population of cooks can and just chefs stay there now. can now just stay there because – well, you Those, can't blame them. They don't have to deal with no. crossing the border in the morning. Oh gosh, so, no. I mean, sometimes they're dealing with a three-hour, six-hour wait. Exactly. And then how can they, you know. I so, used to run restaurants in Little Italy and same thing. Some of those mm-hmm. people would get stuck and what oh, are they yeah. going to do? And you're in a lot. You, we've all been on that line. You oh, can't yeah. go forward. You can't go backwards. Can't, no. Okay. Back a little bit here to keeping your restaurant open. Location. You've been in a lot of locations. Talk yes. a little bit about location. Lo- location is very important. I mean, you really have to check, a, check out everything. Uh, from parking, can people access your place? You may have the greatest food. You may have the greatest atmosphere. You may have the greatest crew. But if people can't get to you, how can you expect them to, to patronize your restaurant? If it takes them an hour to find a parking spot. Right. This is just parking. This is not the the hundreds of other things that you have to consider. Uh, looks like location is, is very important. Is it the only thing? No. I've seen uh, places that are in the most oddball places in the world, yet they're the most uh, successful uh, Restaurants around. Well, like we said earlier, too, downtown, Little Italy, all mm-hmm. the, those places. There's hardly any parking. There's hardly people any parking. just they just don't take their own cars anymore. Right. Exactly. We talked about startup capital uh, last time, and wanted you to talk a little bit about your experience and about people getting into the business with enough money or without enough money. Uh, if there's a 
two types. There's your, your uh, turnkey operations, which are ready to go. You just give, give them the key. You already have equipment in there. If there is no equipment in there, it's, it's at least the, 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 the place is built out. You have your grease trap. You have your hoods. You have all the needed uh, equipment just to put the, the, the final equipment in, meaning your ovens, your burners, your fryers, your, your, your reach-ins and stuff like that. Those are far more cheaper and uh, uh, then uh, building up from the ground up. I've been in both both type of places of the um, one restaurant I was at. I'm trying not to mention names here because I don't want to uh, cast any negative negative light on anybody. Or, anyways, uh, this was a build out. It was a gift shop. Of course, a gift shop does not have a grease trap. Right. A gift shop does not have hoods. It right. does not have many many other things that a restaurant costs. So this little little uh, place cost a million point two. Oh, one point two million dollars. I know, and that was just re- I. I just couldn't believe it. Wow! It took him two years to open up. Yeah, which is, you know, from a standalone point, that is just how you could wait that long and spend that much money on a small restaurant is beyond me. Are they still in business? They're still in business. Um, they're holding still on. there. Holding on. They're holding on. Exactly. That's it. they're 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 surviving. Yeah. But uh, uh, you got to look at. And really make make a, a good decision about where you're going to invest your money. It's going to be a turnkey operation. Turnkey operation means that it's wherever it's at, it's at, it's there. Right. A build out usually means there's an empty a lot of land there. I'm going to build it up, or you're taking over a another storefront that was never intended to be a restaurant in the first place, and you're throwing everything in there. But then don't forget, you know, you walk into some of these places that used to be a restaurant, seems like a great opportunity, but actually the restaurant's been closed for a few years, and mm-hmm. it's now no longer up to code anyway. Right. In which case, you could be walking into a, a oh, whole another kettle of fish another, that you didn't another, expect. Another money hole. Right. Exactly. Okay, but we've got the restaurant. We're in there now. We're ready to open up marketing. If nobody knows you're there, you don't exist. This, Let's talk a little this, bit about this, that. Yeah, I've, I've, I've experienced uh, places where the ownership thinks that just because they opened – the uh, the people will come, and it's like this is a no, not in this day and age. You know, social media uh, does a little bit. I would say it gives a good band aid, but you have to depend upon the five mile radius of your establishment. It's the hood that's going to support you, right? It's not your locals. That's not someone from uh, you know La Jolla, thirty five, forty miles away. That's going to make a trip out there with their with their spouse and have a dinner there. Advertising thirty five, forty miles away. Is should not even be on your radar. Right. What should be on your radar is the immediate area around your restaurant, the five mile radius. There are plenty, plenty of of newsletters, mailers, all kinds of stuff you can take advantage of. And the way I look at it, if you've already spent, you know, five hundred thousand dollars, what's it? What's uh, you know, a few hundred dollars going right. to going uh, to put you back on? Right. You know, I've seen seen some 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 owners were like. They just couldn't come to the uh, grips of uh, spending five hundred bucks. And I says, "Wait, you've already spent a half a million dollars." Right. You know, we hear it all the time. It's yep. the first budget that's cut. It's the yep. first budget that's avoided is marketing, and it's one of the first budgets you can't cut. Right. It's the one that's so critical. And you market. You also have to. You also have to be a a, a strong pillar of the community. Mm-hmm. You can't. Uh, this day and age, in this day and age, you cannot uh, uh, exist without being some kind of support and something in the community. Right. The first time I met you, you found out that I was uh, doing an event for Becky's house. Oh, yeah. And you, you, we were, doing, you were yeah. there. You were there. Yeah. You, you, you donated to uh, 
do the benefit of, of Becky's house. Yeah, we do. And that's how donations. I met you. And that was yeah. years ago. Meet yeah. the best people in the industry you that make way. The best, yeah, make the best people in the industry that way. Yeah. Uh, uh, you become a strong pillar for the community. Thanks, David. You, you, you get As support you. From, from all kinds of people. The people that would not normally go to your restaurant, but because you support the, uh, the high school whatever team or the athletic department or you uh, are supporting the uh, like Becky's house or whatever it is. Mama's Kitchen Mama's and the classes. Kitchen. And that's how I met Don, actually, because yeah. he used to bring his class. Yeah, Mama's Kitchen. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, wow, that's, that goes back years. Yeah. You know, I, I was just involved in that this past, uh, this past year, this past uh, uh, event they had. You know, yeah. th- that's, that's, that gives you some fantastic, fantastic uh, positive reinforcement for your restaurant. Yeah. Where people that's will... an important part of what we do. I know uh, through Chef de Cuisine, uh, th- this year we fed families in Imperial Beach at Thanksgiving. We fed kids uh, for breakfast with Santa in, in Chula Vista. That's all a part of it, uh, but you've got to exist to uh, make that happen. Uh, let's talk a little bit about profit and loss, David, as, as we wind down here. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned earlier, it is a penny business. You take care of your pennies, the dollars will follow. And everybody, the whole crew, the owners have to realize, I mean, even if you had to put on a piece of paper, how much, okay, we, we, we uh, charge $22 for this specific item. How much are we making on that? Right. You know, and, and, uh, well, you get all kinds of, all kinds of answers. Some people, well, you made $21 you made. No, 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 no. No. Look at the cost of what it costs, including paying you to make it. Right. Including the utilities, the overhead, all of the, all the cost centers. Of course. You know, you're actually making 10% out of, out of a dollar. If you're lucky. If you're lucky. If there's no one's calling in sick and suddenly you're on overtime, you have someone on overtime. Or your rent didn't go up. Your rent didn't go up. I mean, there's so many things. When does your rent not go up? (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, you know, managing is a very complex issue. Just in food costs alone, there's 40 items in food costs that you have to keep your eyes out on. And now I'm not talking about linen costs, chemical costs. All kinds of different things that, that, that all come together in operating a restaurant. And you have to have managers that are very strong on SOPs, very strong in making sure that they're accounting into the general ledger as to what is – I'm still using old words, general ledger. Right now it's a POS system. You yeah. know? <laughs> I was just trained at the general ledger. You know? I don't you know. even have a POS system. Yeah. <laughs> but one can be made. It's, yeah. uh, spreadsheets can be made. Yeah. If, uh, just because you don't have a POS system doesn't mean it's the end of the world right. you know? no, or, you're, or, you're, or you're, you're going blind. You can make you can make spreadsheets that are very easy with the Excel uh, uh, the Excel programs. Yeah, yeah. This this can be can be done. And you can have a, a clearer picture as to what exactly you're making. Don, I already yeah. told David I'm I'm hiring him to come and help me with some inventory this week. He's that's, bored. That's yeah, I'm bored. Great. Yeah, <laughs> he needs a little second job. I need a second job exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, these are things that we talked about last time and this time. They're important issues in order. To think about restaurants and food service and how they stay open and why they cost what they do and why you need to think twice before you go into it. We want to thank you for coming in, David, and for sharing your expertise and knowledge with us. And we don't want to end this on a down note, if you think it's a down note, because there are nearly three dozen new restaurants opening in San Diego County in 2019. And they're opening all over the county. And some of the things I was interested in, Elaine, is some of the places they're opening in. Oh, yeah. I was seeing a ton of new stuff in Oceanside, which is kind of exciting, and Escondido. 
uh, San Marcos. And, you know, I live in Little Italy and it seems like a, a nonstop. Like, there's constant new stuff coming into Little Italy. And it's not just um, – it's some independents and a lot of them are restaurant groups or partnerships within restaurants. It's It's pretty exciting stuff. Right. And so naturally there's downtown. You mentioned Oceanside. They're they're opening the old Blade building. That was the Blade newspaper. They've turned that into a restaurant and cool. that's going to open in Oceanside in, in in the old restaurant building. Uh, you know, you know I'm a real favorite of um Louisiana cuisine and they've oh, got the, the, the Louisiana, Louisiana purchases purchase coming yeah. in and they're bringing in a chef from New Orleans. Wow. That's going to be fun to watch. Um, Old Town is doing something new. They're going to have a, a mezcal tasting room, and it's going to be Old Colto 477, and that's going to be interesting to watch. Poway's even getting in, 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 into the mix now. I think a big part of what's happening is that people are certainly moving to other areas where the rent is cheaper and the mortgages are cheaper. And for the restaurants, the rent is cheaper. Right. I think all of that goes into some of this. And what we're going to do, we're going to watch some of these new places. Each time we come, we may talk to you about a couple of them. We may even go and visit a couple. And we want to look this time next year and see how many of them are still in business. Oof. Hopefully all of them for Hopefully their sake. Hopefully all, yep. Yeah, let's hope so. That brings us to the end of another segment of On the Front Burner. We want to thank you for listening and hope you'll be back with us next time. Wanted to remind all of you that on February 25th at the Hanlery Hotel, Chefs de Cuisine of San Diego is having their Chef of the Year dinner. It's an event you will not want to miss. It's open to the public, right? It's open to the public Sweet. if they buy a ticket. All right. February 25th, 6 to 10 p.m., Hanlery Hotel in Mission Valley. Lane, I'll see you next time. All right. Thanks, Don. And I want to thank again our guest today, David Chanel, chef of many wonderful places and lots of good information. Well, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to both of you. It's great to see you. The Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. The app features photographs, recipes, geography and history, taste and culinary applications on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to zapote, we've got your produce questions answered. Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app for free today.